happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff. It's a podcast. The title isn't sarcastic. We actually talk about people we think are cool and who did things that we also think are cool. And you know who else is cool is my guest this week, Samantha McVeigh, who is the host of Stuff Mom Never Told You and is not only my new best friend, but dear listener, she is your new best friend as well. Yes. How are you doing today? I'm doing so good. See, this is the thing that I've been trying to run with. This is how mm-hmm. I make friends by trying to tell them I'm cool. So this is perfect. So I'm going to be on the show about mm-hmm. cool people with do cool stuff because I want to be cool. Like that. That's how it works. Right. And then mm-hmm. people want to yeah. be friends with me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. OK. All right. That's all right. what I'm relying on as well. To I'm going okay, yes. to channel this. Let's go. Yeah. Uh, and we also have Sophie with us, who is uh, not only the producer the of the show, but and the coolest and is also Basically, the Pope of podcasts. Um, that's a, yes, that's the in best charge title. of all podcasts. And much like the Pope, uh, she decides who lives and who dies. Yeah, yes, and much like the Pope, direct like tells us what's moral and what's not, even if yeah. we don't believe her half the time. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and then we just you. act on whatever Sophie says instead of actually listening exactly. to our own. Sorry, we painted you into a corner here. Sophie. I know. Let's I was, just move I was, on. I was, was, was going to say, I too like fun hats. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's true. Um, It's true. You do. Yeah. But, you know, it's not about me. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. (laughs) So today we're doing part two of our two part series on the Jane Collective, who are a badass crew of underground abortionists in pre Roe v. Wade, Chicago. And this episode will make approximately zero sense if you don't go back and listen to part one. So go listen to part one. We'll wait. Okay. So Jane offering abortions, no longer reliant on crime guy Nick Mike, but are doing it themselves. Mike Nick. Yeah, Mike Nick. Sorry. Um, and uh, I'm just making sure we have both versions in so yeah. that we are correct. But we did forget the title sexy. So sexy Mike Nick, sexy Nick Mike. Right. Right. Just totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is the the title. of the, Yeah. Like, obviously. Yeah. Um, OK, so so Jane is offering abortions for every trimester. Uh and this is like really not how to DIY an abortion podcast, although if those exist, you should go listen to them. But the, this is not one of them. And the techniques I'm going to be talking about are like 50 years old and are transmitted through me, who is an absolute layperson who doesn't have a uterus and is completely grossed out by the idea of the inside of my own body. 
um, like if I go to a training about how to apply a tourniquet, I what I do is I um, uh, pretend like I'm not there and then learn the information. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's just like keep all of that of in many mind. things. Pretend like yeah. you're not there and just learn. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> <laughs> but it it feels important to me to to understand some of the ways that people have historically and contemporarily go about ending unwanted pregnancies. Uh, for some weird reason, it just seems like really important right now. I, it's hard to say why. Hmm. As a person in Georgia with many uh, laws <laughs> of floating, I don't either. Yeah, it's so it's so weird. Uh, just something in the air. I don't know. And and one thing I, I talked to when I was talking through this show with one of my friends who's a reproductive uh, rights justice activist person, all of those words in the proper order. Um, one of the things that they were pointing out is that it's important not to present this dark age before Roe v. Wade. Legal abortion access matters, and we need to defend that. But we need to like soberly recognize that people can and have learned how to take care of not just their own health, but like in, on a community level and on a like a real level, um, so that people recognize that they do have real options if we lose Roe v. Wade, right? So that it's not like mm -hmm. your only option is to go to someone who's really sketchy, uh, because we need to instead fight to make sure that that doesn't right. become the case. So when Jane started, they were mostly doing a style of abortion called uh, dilation and curatage, or a, a DNC, especially for first trimester abortions. And what they do is they injected a local anesthetic, and then they, they scrape the walls of the uterus with a, a loop-shaped instrument called a curette. And they then provided pills and injections to stop infection and bleeding, and they recommended a gynecologist, or they recommended getting a gynecological checkup, and if you didn't have one, they recommended you one. And DNC, at least as it was performed originally, is a fairly dangerous procedure. It's it's not a bad procedure. It's important that people be able to do this, but it's a it's a it involves sharp objects in sensitive areas. And Jane was really fucking good at it. But it it seems like some of the worst ways that inexperienced abortionists um, fuck patients up is with DNC and especially also with herbal abortions. But we're not going to get into that on the show. Mm -hmm. um, and Jane didn't fuck with herbal abortions, to my knowledge. DNC is still used today, although the term has a, a wider usage now, basically to include things um, other than a sharp curette, they, like suction curettes, uh, vacuum aspiration, as it's sometimes called, where they vacuum things out instead of scraping them out. But to tell you about vacuum aspiration, I get to tell you about a bunch of other really cool people. Let's go with people who are complicated who did cool things <laughs> for some of these people instead of people who I want to blanketly right. tell you are cool. Uh, because Harvey Carmen was not an MD. Uh, some reports claim that he has a psychology doctorate, so he was technically a doctor. Others claim that he just had a master's degree in theater. And while- That is vastly different. Yeah, it is. It is. He might have <laughs> had both. He might have later gone back and got a doctor, a degree in psychology. I don't know. Okay. When he was still a student, he was practicing abortion in California, and one of his patients died. And he served two and a half years in prison for it. And I literally don't have a means by which to judge whether or not he was a responsible practitioner who happened to lose a patient due to the circumstances that he was forced into by criminalization or whether he was a, a sketchy fucking a shitty abortionist. I, I literally don't have a way to, to at least my information gathering powers did not answer this. Mm -hmm. um, but he was an innovator. And which really doesn't answer the question of whether or not he was responsible or ethical, because just because you want to try new shit doesn't necessarily make it good. Right. It's kind of like when um, doctors were practicing curing hysteria on women and we know what that led to. Right. 
Totally. <laughs> but one time when he's in jail for practicing abortions, he invents a new abortion technique, which has revolutionized first trimester abortions and uh, is like largely the reason, as far as I understand, um, that we have safe first trimester abortions. However, when I say revolutionized and invented, you'll be shocked to know that um, Chinese doctors figured it out a long time earlier um, and that information was not transmitted to the West until after a Western practitioner figured it out, uh, which happens time and time again. Every time you're like, this guy invented a thing. You're like, eh, this, this guy invented it for the Western world. <laughs> <laughs> or got credit for it. Yeah, totally. Something. But he, uh, he invented something called the, the Carmen Canula, which is a, a flexible curette. And it, it basically allows vacuum aspiration. It allows the idea of uh, using, a, in this case, originally a syringe to suck things out uh, with a flexible tube instead of using a sharp, you know, curette. And it, it dramatically reduces the risk of perforating the uterus and it reduces the need for anesthesia to relax the cervix. And it, um, I mean, it's just a fucking flexible tube as far as I can tell. And, and it gets called vacuum aspiration or the non-medical term. And I'm going to talk about this in a little bit is called menstrual extraction. Uh, the former, as best as I understand it, is like the medical name and the, the latter is its demedicalized name used in different people by two women who immediately took upon his concept and improved upon it. Uh, Carol Downer and Lorianne Rothman were two of the most important underground abortion providers at the time, yet they're rarely referred to as that because what they did is they invented, and again, I can't speak to everyone ever having done this before, but they invented uh, a menstrual extraction. They took the existing vacuum aspiration and they added... Um, both a one-way valve in order to keep air from accidentally going into the uterus, and then also a, a jar, just a mason jar, uh, that's attached to it so that more yeah. material can be removed at once. And so now you right. can do a full menstrual extraction, which is basically the idea of like, you can pass all of your menses all at once instead of waiting for it to slowly pass. And what happens when you do that is if you happen to be pregnant, in a, with a first trimester abortion, you are suddenly no longer pregnant. Okay. And they didn't like advertise this as an abortion technique because that would have been illegal. Instead, they like were like, oh, groups of women could just all get together and provide this service for each other because it actually takes multiple people to use this device. You can't necessarily self-administer it um, just because of angles and shit. Right. I don't know. Um and I, to be frank, I had never heard of this. And about half of the people I've talked to who um, have uteruses had heard of this and half of them hadn't. And I don't know whether right. my sample size. So I've size. seen them. Like, mm -hmm. not in yeah. person. Like, obviously, I've seen the pictures of them. So yeah. as you're describing, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And it, it gets called, their invention is called a Dell M. Uh, mm -hmm. D-E-L space E-M. Mm -hmm. In case you all want to go look up how to do this kind of interesting thing. In 1971, they invent this thing and then they downplay the abortion side of it, but they go to the National Organization Conference of Women, uh, the NOW Conference in California in 1971, so they can announce this invention to the world. And um, they were like, hell yeah, everyone's going to love this. But instead, the NOW organizers were like, this is a little bit much for a, a booth. <laughs> I don't think you can have a booth for an abortion here. Um, and they're like, what? It's revenge strokes. Right now I'm putting words in their mouth. But... <laughs> And so they put up flyers saying, hey, come to our hotel room and we'll show you how to use this device. And everyone fucking loved it, right? Because it fucking yeah. ruled. And so they gathered this list of names and they went on this uh, Greyhound tour across the country giving presentations about the Dell M. And I just love how like 
scrappy it is that they like invent this thing that involves mason jars and they don't have a car. So they just like, again, I mean, maybe a car, but I, they go on a Greyhound tour and that, that rules. <laughs> and uh, Lorraine has a quote from 2002 that sums up the sort of demedicalization approach that was popular with a lot of the uh, underground abortion access people uh, before 1973. What did women do before there were doctors? Let's stop the humiliation of trying to persuade the powers that be to legalize abortion. Let's just take back the technology, the tools, the skills, and the information to perform early abortions and be in charge of our own reproduction. And once again, you'll be shocked to know that this device is having something of a comeback in the modern era. Mm. And so Jane didn't use the, the Dell M specifically, as far as I can tell, but they did use the, the Carmen Canula uh, extensively. Mm-hmm. And I think in generally in combination with vacuum aspiration, they also, and this gets into the sketchier side of some of it, they use another one of Carmen's inventions that was a lot less successful. They use something called the super coil. I'm actually curious. Have you heard of this? I'm, I'm trying to figure out how known this is. And I don't think so. I, but okay. it's one of those. I'm like, as you describe it, I may know of it. This totally. I'm not trying to put you on the spot. Yeah. I'm trying to just be like. No, no, no. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm sitting here like, okay, we've gotten through several devices and mm-hmm. I think I've glazed up, but yeah, keep going. No, no, no. Let totally. me see. So the super coil is not around today because um, it is a bad idea as far as I can tell. And it was meant to revolutionize second trimester abortion. Basically he was like, I have revolutionized first trimester abortion and made it easier for right. lay people to do it. Now I want to revolutionize second trimester abortion. And so the super coil involves coiling up like like tightly coiled plastic rings basically attached to a string that are um, inserted into the uterus and then left to expand um, so that they uh, can be pulled out and then clear out the area as they, you know, causing the... I did not know what this is. This yeah. is horrifying though. Yeah. I feel like I've had... So, Sophie, um, yeah, so my last interaction with uh, Robert and Sophie mm-hmm. was them talking about... Mm-hmm. A birth control that attached itself and t- tore out people's uterus. So this is amazing. I feel like we've come full yeah, circle. We definitely have come full circle. That thing, <laughs> that thing on that episode with Robert was like one of the like I it like makes me itchy. I'm like it was so terrifying. Yeah, I still see people post you, but yeah, but yeah. I like totally. that we're back here to something that goes out, expands, and tries to pull things out of people's vaginas. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, we're back. We're back. That's our thing, Samantha. <laughs> that's, our, that's, my, that's my thing. I love being associated with this. Let's keep going. This is amazing. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm now like, yes, this is my world. Let's go. This is the this is the <laughs> darkest chunk of this episode, I believe. Um, even later, they get arrested, and it's not as dark as this chunk. So they they helped Carmen test it. They they sided with him in debates to come, and they were probably wrong about it. It was meant to help lay people provide abortions, but it was it was probably too good to be true. Basically, like they were at least one person I read argued that basically they were like sucked in by the idea of like, oh, we have a numerical device. This rules um, because they had just gotten a numerical device from the same guy, mm-hmm. not numerical, but not numbers, but numerical device that is new. Um, so he goes and tests it and he first tests it through in, with International Planned Parenthood in uh, on Bangladeshi women at a large scale. And it I'm not aware of it killing anyone but it did not do incredibly well. Uh, and there were a lot of complications. I was going to say, it sounds like it could cause a permanent damage. Uh, yes. Which is kind of the horror stories people tell that are anti-choice uh, about yes. the permanent damage. And this seems to follow suit 
because I can't imagine something just at that point in time being like, oh, it's self-working. It just expands and grabs the right things, but doesn't. Uh-huh. But doesn't. Yeah, exactly. And uh, there's a lot of different arguments about, or I've, I've seen a couple different things about whether or not Jane was involved in in using this or testing this. Uh, I do believe they did use this successfully for a number of abortions. And again, their overall results were that they were as good as any medical facility at that time, right? Right. Um, right. But anyway, this is a, a darker thing that they were involved in. Right. I mean, that makes me question, did they give uh, the people who came in, the patients and clients, a choice on what kind of procedure they could have? Uh, and and I'm, I, I know mm-hmm. they were pretty good about giving like risk statistics and let them know aftercare and all of that. So I wonder if there was like a moment of like, you have these options now, which would you like to do? I, I would like to get off of them the benefit of the doubt of that around that, but I, I, I don't know. And um, yeah, cause I honestly did not yeah. know this part of this history. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a little alarming. You don't want to start testing things. And when you have someone testing on a different group of mm-hmm. people yeah, no, is probably not good, which is the history yeah. of all medicine, essentially. But, you know, that's yeah. a whole different rabbit hole that I will not do as a negative Nelly moment. So I'm going to stop now. No, no. I mean, like, and this is like, this is the most warts and all that I'm going to get around this. And <laughs> and even this is like a complicated thing. Um, you know, one of the things that I read, one of the the black women who, who volunteered for this was like, basically defended uh, her position being like, I'm paraphrasing, but like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you saying that I can't consent to this just because I'm a black woman? You know, and so there's this like, I'm reading biased reports, right? I'm reading people who are trying to make positions to either claim that this was this terrible thing that people did or this brilliant, brave thing that people did. And I don't have anything near the the right position to understand what is and isn't ethical for for what happened here and like what level of informed consent was available Um, But I'm also under the impression that a lot of their other options were worse. Right. Um, Again, we come back to the fact that there's so many things that pushes people to a certain point. And when it's not mm -hmm. accessible and it becomes uh, looked at as, again, unlawful, then people Mm -hmm. are pushed to a point that is uh, is extreme. So you do what you can. And people being in that point are going to choose what they think is lesser uh, evil for them yeah and it's not the case like that's it shouldn't have to be even that conversation yeah totally and and so as so a carmen uh he kind of disappears after this whole fiasco he's like oh i tried to invent a thing and it didn't work and he kind of um his trail goes cold at least for my my sleuthing at this point he wasn't a medical doctor right you were saying that he's either guy no, yeah. maybe maybe in psychology mm-hmm. but also maybe just theater like it just right did a thing however okay. <laughs> as as uh, different states would legalize abortion he was so well known that he would be invited to come participate in uh legal abortion areas because he was a right. really experienced abortionist um but that also empowered him to do all of these things that uh are real messy and so it's just like kind of interesting that like this is the person who did the thing that got safe first trimester abortions available, you know? Right, um, right. I mean, some good did come of it. Right. And now we have chemical abortions uh, for first trimester that are, are safer and better than this method, right. as, as far as I understand in my circumstances. But I don't know. There's so many things to this in this conversation about 
what this looks like when it is not considered healthcare and mm-hmm. why it's so uh, blasé. And yes, right. some good did come of it, but some bad did come of it. And then there's this need of like uh, understanding it is healthcare. But. Yeah, totally. <laughs> okay, but but who is cool? Yes, I will. I will go on a out on a limb to say is another abortionist who popularized some shit that Jane wound up using. A guy named Robert Spencer. Mm-hmm. And Robert Spencer was a true believer and he was not a grifter. Uh, he was a doctor, an actual medical doctor in the, the coal fields in Ashland, Pennsylvania. And he, he cut his doctoring teeth, inventing new ways to treat black lung in coal miners, um, including a lot of pioneering work in, in uh, I don't know how to pronounce this word, bronchoscopy, bronchios, sticking cameras down people's throats. I don't know, yeah. looking at people's throats. And, um, and, and he did experiment with black lung, but this is also a situation where like, oh, these coal miners are dying and no one here is like paying attention to black right. lung except me. And so he's very well liked, this doctor in this town. And then sometime in the early 20s, he starts, a coal miner's wife is like, yo, I'm pregnant. I'd really rather not be. Uh, and I tried calling Jane, but the number isn't active yet or something. I'm like 40 years too early. So <laughs> he, um, he, he performs an abortion and then he just starts performing abortions in this town. And he single-handedly performed something like 40,000 abortions. Um, he, he died in 1969 before his work could become legal and his wife burned all of his records, I guess to either protect his like legacy or maybe his staff or maybe herself. I don't know. And he... Uh, Eventually, the entire town's economy, like a huge chunk of the town's economy relies on this guy because people are coming from all over the place to get abortions here and they like staying at hotels and shit. But the hotels didn't, some of the hotels at least, didn't let black patients stay. So he built accommodations so that black patients could still come and get abortions in this town. He was arrested three times for providing abortions. Uh, One of the times he was arrested, at least, was because a patient died. Um, They died from anesthesia uh, problems. And you know, I'm not a doctor. I know that anesthesia is a complicated thing, especially 80 years ago. You know, I'm not trying to like yeah. lay judgment on him for this. Uh, but he was acquitted uh, two of the times he was arrested um, because I think everyone in town was like, you can't convict this guy. What are you, what are you talking about? Like, this is our guy. We like right. this guy. We're like abortion He's taking town. his money. Come on. Yeah. yeah. And like, um, and he also had union protection. The 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 United Mine Workers had his back. This was the was it the coal? Okay, okay, <laughs> yeah. Okay. And they're like union miners did not fuck around back then. Um, All right, like this is our boy. Don't touch him. He, yeah. And to his quote about why he uh, why people liked him, I've been here since 1919. I dare say I've helped out half the town, even on the abortion end. There's probably one of my patients related to a family in half the town. I think most of the town would stand up for me. <laughs> that's just like i think they would say that for me i think i think we're cool yeah and so he's he's 79 years old he keeps going into retirement and then coming out of retirement because people need his help right because he's really fucking good at his job and he um provides abortions for cheap and i'll get to that um and he, he's 79 and he's on he's wait awaiting trial for a third time and he dies of old age while like actively practicing and he was performing three to four abortions a day right up to the end um, there's this whole article from um, Village Voice from 1969. I think it's called The Death of an Abortionist. And it's uh, a journalist who travels down there to basically just to meet him, just to be like, you are amazing. You are the reason that people feel safe, you know. Um, and he charged the cheapest rates, some of the cheapest rates uh, of anyone. His first abortions cost $5. And then as the cost of drugs and overhead went up, at the end, he was charging $200 in the late 60s. Uh, but again, most abortions were costing 600 to $2,000. 
he was this like lovable weirdo. Uh, he treated everyone kindly. He covered his office in like weird, weird plaques from tourist traps. And the the village voice journalist who showed up, she asks him like, "Why did you perform abortions when the people first asked you?" And he said, "Because I could see their point of view." Mm-hmm. And I just I love that as an answer, you know, mm-hmm. um, just like basic human empathy. And his name never really appeared until he died. His name like didn't really appear much in print. I think one place doxed him or whatever, but he was always just printed as uh, the legendary Dr. S. And uh, okay. And he popularized a technique or using something called, I don't know how to pronounce this word, Lounbach's paste, Loonbach's paste uh, to, to help dilate the cervix. It's like a soft soap. Um, mm-hmm. Is not currently in use, mm-hmm. uh, but but Jane used it and was very glad for it. It helped make their whole anesthesia process much safer. And they, I don't know whether they made their own or got it from Robert Spencer because Robert Spencer was making his own because it was no longer commercially available. I don't know. I think he's cool too. And I really like that Jane was building from this, was part of this larger framework of people who were like, mm-hmm. how do we do this? Like absent of like, right the medical industry, how do we actually like figure out how to do this safely and well? Right. Actually caring about their patients. That's revolutionary. Yeah, totally. God, I wish, (laughs) I wish that revolution had stuck. Yeah. You know who does care about their patients? Who? I'm ready. Well, (laughs) potatoes. I've been, I've been trying to get advertised by potatoes. I don't know how potatoes have become doctors, but I think potatoes are great. And um, I want to be sponsored by entirely wholesome things. So if you hear anything unwholesome in the ads, that was a mistake. It's Robert's fault. It's Robert's fault. Again, it's Robert's fault. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, so here's some ads for potatoes and maybe some other stuff. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back, and we're discussing whether or not we should actually expand our list of sponsors to include kittens. I mean, they're cute and cuddly. I Dogs. Think, I think yes. I mean, it's good to diversify. I mean, I think it's important that we talk about kittens and puppies, right? I think so. We just have to make clear yeah. that we're advertising the concept of kittens and puppies, not the people right. who traditionally go about selling kittens and puppies. Yes, no. yes, yes. No, it's no, very no. clear. No, no, no. Not not a kitten mill or puppy mill type situation oh, no. at no, all. Not cool. 
rescue what we're talking some about kittens. is the idea uh. of just cuddling with some kittens mm-hmm. <laughs> or cuddling with a dog, maybe, mm-hmm. or at least looking at cute pictures. Yeah. While one kitten is in one arm and one puppy is in the other arm. My favorite is at- when kittens and dogs are friends. Yeah, totally. I, I can't wait to introduce my dog to more cats. It's actually never gone well. So I actually Yeah, my, my dog does not love cats either. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dog loves though. cats. The cats oh, don't love the much. dog. <laughs> That's fair. He does not know how to play. So so I want to quote a little bit at length from why Jane Collective did this work. Uh, it's from a statement about why they did. Uh, is a pamphlet that they gave to prospective clients. Abortion as a social problem. We are giving our time not only because we want to make abortions uh, safer, cheaper, and more accessible for the individual women who come to us, but because we see the whole abortion issue as a problem of society. The current abortion laws are a symbol of something subtle but often blatant, oppression of women in our society. Women should have the right to control their own bodies and lives. Only a woman who is pregnant can determine whether or not she has enough resources, economic, physical, and emotional, at a given time to bear and rear a child. Yet at present, the decision to bear the child or to have an abortion is taken out of her hands by government bodies, which can have only the slightest notion of the problems involved. The same society that glamorizes women as sex objects and teaches them from an early childhood to please and satisfy men views pregnancy and childbirth as punishment for immoral or careless sexual activity, especially if the woman is uneducated, poor, or black. Our society's view of equal opportunity means that lower-class women bear unwanted children or face expensive, illegal, and often unsafe abortions, while well-connected middle-class women can frequently get safe and hush-hush DNCs in hospitals. Only women can bring about their own liberation. It is time for women to get together to change the male-made laws and aid their sisters caught in the bind of legal restrictions and social stigma. Women must fight together to change the attitudes of society about abortion and to make the state provide free abortions as a human right. I like that. <sighs> I like that. Uh, there's so many things that like it just applies today. I know we're talking about that, but hmm. but the problem is because it is women centered typically yep. and especially during mm-hmm. that time, yep. people see that as being uh, less important in conversation has become it made it a moral ground. Yeah. Even though it's very political, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, I do love I do love that sentiment. And ugh, <laughs> I know we still need that sentiment. Yeah, no, I, I like like sometimes when I get like lost in the weeds about like this is how they did this one thing and this is how they did this other thing. And then instead you're just kind of like, here's like a hundred people who got together to commit felonies to try and keep people safe. And it's just right. like that's always cool, you know, like like and there's right. always something. I don't know. So I, I like hearing the the why they did it. But speaking of felonies, this is not an ad transition. I'm not advertising <laughs> felonies on the. I'm probably advertising felonies on this show, but not from the point of view of a sponsorship. Not from that perspective, okay. Yeah. <laughs> not not trying to get money for it. Oh, yeah, wow. no. Okay. Well, I mean, you, you got to go out and get the your own money. You know, um, it's easy We're to get money. Saying, felonies, yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. So, so Jane is this big open secret, and everyone knows about it. Uh, they advertised. And they had security procedures in place, but clearly the police knew about them. Uh, and most of the reporting about Jane basically says the cops didn't bust them because the cops kind of liked them. They were clean and safe and no one was dying. So so why bust them, right? And, and to me, this, this fundamentally misunderstands the nature of the police, especially the Chicago Police Department. In a nation of corrupt police departments, Chicago like consistently stands out as one of the crookedest. And the other thing you'll hear is that 
police put up with it because the, the wives of police and the wives of politicians were amongst their clients. And this feels more plausible to me, but I suspect that politicians' wives at least could afford a trip to New York. And so I, right. I feel like there's some kind of like, to be clear, I think crime is cool, <laughs> but the same accounts also say the mafia didn't come after them for similar reasons. They're like, oh, well, they're not really making a profit. So why would the mafia care? And this right. doesn't sound like if that doesn't sound like the police and that doesn't sound like the mafia. Um, so this is amazing. All of this, all of this moment is amazing. Thank you. Mom. Yeah, I'm just I'm enjoying this entire thing. <laughs> all right. You cool. know, the other part to this is uh -huh. because they don't see this as an issue for them. Because uh, at that mm -hmm. point in time, I think majority of the police were uh, men. Yeah, just speaking. So since it was a woman's thing, it's also kind of like same level of like not talking about periods and and being shameful about women's bodies. So it uh, was that's like a good point. Uh huh. We're gonna pretend like you don't exist because it's easier for us to ew icky. Even yeah. though, and to, I mean to be frank, the the majority of the times. Kind of like today when we talk about abortion uh, and uh, abor abortion rights and uh, mm. abortion being healthcare, men typically outside of the morally loud, like this mm -hmm. isn't just whatever, just don't care because it has nothing to do with them. And it's just gross. And it's like, uh, it's women's issues. So yeah. we'd rather just ignore it. And it does, doesn't think it's necessarily important. Of course, we've got the religious bits. but Yeah. You know. No, this is actually this is actually uh, that helps sell me on it better because like all I can see, I am again really not trying to accuse anyone who might be alive of any kind of crime, but it seems like the mafia might have been getting a share out of this. I don't know. Again, like no judgment of what our people need to do to to keep <laughs> keep their shit running, but but yeah, because because everyone knows about this and no one's doing anything about it. But but the thing you're saying also about like basically people being like, we're just not going to fucking touch it is also completely possible. Right. Um. And then the way it all uh, falls apart, well, it doesn't actually really fall apart. The way that some people get in trouble can be told a, diff a couple different ways. I've run across one probable story and then one maybe story. One day in 1973, uh, a Catholic woman comes to get an abortion. And at the time, I actually, Behind the Bastards did a better podcast about this, and I don't remember exactly when the Protestants started caring about abortion, but for a while, like only the Catholics cared. A Catholic woman comes in to get an abortion, and she was of mixed minds the whole, about the whole thing. Uh, a Jane volunteer named uh, Jeannie Galitzer-Levy spends a long time talking with her about it and like counseling her. And later she's really bitter about the long time she spent talking to her about it. Her sister-in-law, the, the patient's sister-in-law, was, was there with her. And her sister-in-law called them in. And what I've heard is that she didn't call them into the police station like in the district where they were like seen as friendly, but instead called them into a different district. And so suddenly... Uh, bad things happen. But that's the, that's the story I, I hear most often told. Another account is that the anti-abortion lobby was trying to get some arrests in to do some damage on the legal front because Supreme Court was about to see Roe v. Wade, and uh, which, spoiler alert, legalized abortion federally across the U.S. in a 7-2 ruling. So maybe someone wanted to get some abortionists on trial in a hurry. And then there's a third story, uh, which comes from the person who's very critical of uh, their super coil testing that the bust happened on a day that they were planning on doing uh, super coil testing and that it was like related to all of that. I tend to believe the, the Catholic story best, but I, I feel like there's something, I actually don't believe any of these stories, frankly. That's what I, yeah. I don't know what it is. Yeah. We just know that they got raided and yeah. we don't know how it began, but yeah, it could be any of the stories, but that's the one I heard too, is the Catholic, uh, mm -hmm. two Catholic women. 
had yeah. reported them. But any physical reason, again, it was coincidentally around, and I, I will use air mm-hmm. quotes more coincidentally, yeah. around uh, Roe versus Wade and, yeah. and the big co- uh, backlash and back and forth and yeah. controversy with that. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think I would I would put the most likely is the combination of the first two things is the the Catholic women and the um and some people trying to get some shit on going on. I don't know, but yeah, they they get raided. Um, on May on May third, nineteen seventy two, Jeannie is working at the front and she's caring for three children left behind by a patient when she hears a knock at the door. She thought it was another Jane who had just like dropped off some snacks, come back to to drop off more snacks or maybe forgot something or something, and instead it was cops. Uh, really, really tall cops. Jeannie is like, let them in and told everyone in the waiting room, these are the police. You don't have to tell them anything. And then Jeannie describing the event says, they were really tall, really weird. I developed this whole theory. I love crackpot theories. I intend to be a crackpot when I grow up. This is Jeannie, not me. <laughs> Although it is also true of me. I love okay, crackpot I theories. Okay, I thought you were and... talking about yourself. No, I know. Yeah, no, this, this is still is quote. Better. Yeah, um, yeah. Quote, I intend to be a crackpot when I grow up. My theory is that you had to be really tall to be a homicide cop. These were homicide cops because abortion was a homicide. And they were homicide cops who hated being there. You know, it's not easy to make homicide detective. You have to be really good. It's not even political, like taking the sergeant's exam. You have to really do something. And they do it because they want to. And by and large, what they do is track people down who kill other people. And they think of themselves as good guys. And they hated being there. This was not their kind of crime. End quote. That is an interesting theory. Uh, yeah. I really like. There's so many observations about just the male uh, appearance that, that these characters are. So <laughs> like that, they're all tall, very tall. Yeah, I want to totally. know how tall she is, though. I know, right? <laughs> all the all the cops are like five foot seven. You know, like, right? Um, five foot eight, yeah. average. But they're yeah. tall because I'm four foot eleven. Okay, yeah, totally. Or maybe they like scent. They're like. There are three people who are, you know, six foot six over to go arrest everyone. Um, and so they detain everyone at the front and they start asking everyone questions. And the way they figured out who the Janes were, apparently, is that when they asked the Janes questions, the Janes refused to answer. And while this did get them separated out for arrest, it, it probably saved them later in court, or at least it was very helpful in court. Their lawyer later thanked them, was like, I'm so glad you all didn't say anything. Right. And patients, though, were asked all kinds of questions, and they largely answered. Uh, One question that left the cops completely confused was they kept asking how much the Janes charged, and everyone gave wildly different answers. The the police came, I guess, maybe expecting a mafia-style for-profit enterprise, and they didn't find one. And at the same time, the cops arrive at the place and arrest everyone there. And apparently, they showed up, and they were like, where are all the men, though? You know, who's doing the abortions? Right. And... So I guess they actually really didn't know Jane inside and out, you know, if they think all these things. Um, and so at least they probably weren't infiltrated, right? If this is what the cops think. True. And No spies. Yeah. I tend to think that like the cops know everything, right? Because we talk about how we live in a panopticon and we're all being studied all the Watched. time or whatever. Yeah. And then like every now and then the cops are just like, they don't know shit. I want to tell a completely off-base story about all of this, right? One time my friend was being... Um, investigated as the leader of international anarchism by the feds and never mind i'm not going to tell that story okay so um <laughs> there's so many levels of understanding why i'm like yeah i have i have a cookie cutter vanilla life and i'm really sad that i'm not a part of this 
invest. No, I don't want to be investigated because I do not have yeah. the anxiety to go through an investigation. But just knowing someone, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, they are. Yeah, well, the, the the spoiler alert: there is no leader of international anarchism. It goes against the whole idea, <laughs> and eventually the feds figured that out. But the the more personal Ooh. details about it, I'm not going to get into. Um, you're not you're not going to do that. Okay. Yeah, Funny. but um, so uh, okay, so they're all thrown into paddy wagons. They're taken off to jail, and Jeannie says that um, when they were taken off to jail in the paddy wagon, all the all the other women in the in the paddy wagon were sex workers who kept everyone in good spirits by just like telling fun, horrible stories about their lives or whatever. Um, and I really like that they were there to, to keep everyone's um, spirits <laughs> up. And then in the paddy wagon, the Janes all pulled out all the index cards with all of the patient info and shit, and they ripped them up into little pieces, passed them out, and ate them, which is As great. Badass. And they only spent one night in jail, probably because they're middle-class white women. Uh, one of them, I, I think one of them, who was a nursing mother, was let go that night because she had to go home and, and feed her kids. Uh, and Jeannie talks about how the, the cops like treated them all well as fellow middle class white people while being rude to any of the patients who ended up in jail and all the other people and all the other women in jail, which, yeah, I guess doesn't really surprise anyone who's listening to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in jail, they all, all the only food they got offered was bologna sandwiches, which which Jeannie couldn't eat, presumably because she was vegetarian. And the reason that I include this is because one time I was arrested at this anti IMF demonstration in D.C. 30 years after all this shit. And 2002 and they gave us all bologna sandwiches and we all just like sat there and like laughed at our bologna sandwiches because we were all fucking like vegans and vegetarians and shit and we're like what are we gonna do with this um and it was oh. it was mostly a bad experience but i was only in jail for like 36 hours um uh possibly because i'm middle class and white and i don't know so i, I didn't get to eat in jail and sucked but whatever i just like that this has been like a true thing forever is that like when hippies and activists and shit get arrested they're like what the fuck am i gonna do this bologna sandwich yeah um so they get let out on bail uh and they're each facing 110 years because 11 counts of homicide and conspiracy to commit homicide in the case that will be known as the abortion seven and at least according to genie jane kind of distances themselves at this point from them and they, I guess like as like they were like, oh, it's a strategic necessity. We're going to keep going. And Jane did keep going while the trial was ongoing. But it still doesn't sound good to me, honestly. Um, and Jeannie at least felt really betrayed, according to the, the interview I read with her. The rest of the feminist movement kind of, though, had her back. Um, there was a, a defense committee formed with the sick name of the Abortion Task Force, the ATF. And... Several of the arrestees were part of an organization called the Leche League, the, which was a pro-nursing organization. Nursing, I guess, was out of style at the time. And the Leche League had their back, which fucking rules that the like the Mothers Association was like, yeah, of course we're defending mm. these abortionists, you know. Um, and I, I don't really know what the distancing looked like because several of the abortion seven actually went back to work for Jane while they were out on bail, which is also fucking badass. And they, they spent a while finding a lawyer. Uh, most of the lawyers they found were terrible. One guy was very movement focused and wanted them to basically go to prison and was like, yeah, you're going to be martyrs for the cause, you know? And they were like, we don't like that very much. This is not actually <laughs> our plan. Um, and so finally they settled on, on Joanne Wolfson, who one account calls the, the queen of the hopeless. And she once ran away from home to join the circus and like work with elephants and shit. Okay, so her brother was an attorney, too, who once got sentenced to 70 years in prison in 1985 after pleading guilty to racketeering in an anti-corruption case in Chicago that saw a fuck ton of the judges, lawyers, and cops sent away for organized crime shit. So, okay, 
mafia and corruption shit just runs deep in Chicago. Yes, of course. Anyway, so this is their lawyer. And she is the, what I do know about her, she was the right lawyer for the job and she rules. Um, She saw Roe v. Wade on the horizon and she was like, all right, here's the plan. Let's delay this shit as long as possible. And the court was fine with that plan too because frankly, they saw the writing on the wall and they didn't want to waste court resources on it. So in January 1973, the Supreme Court decided that the 14th Amendment's guarantee of the right to privacy included the right to have abortions in a very, I had my lawyer friend try and explain this whole thing to me recently and Roe v. Wade is like complicated as a, from a legal perspective, but it worked for now for good. We'll see. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, anyway, whatever. So prosecutors knew if they wanted, they could uh, come after them for practicing medicine without a license, but they decided it was more trouble than it was worth. And they really just didn't want to make a fuss out of it. That said, also, my lawyer friend was explaining to me that most Supreme Court decisions are not retroactive. But basically, they're like, this shit, as far as I can tell, they're like, this shit is way too political. We don't want to fucking touch this case. So they made a, they cut a deal. We don't charge you with practicing medicine without a license. You don't ask for your medical equipment back. And the Jane 7 said, oh my God, yes, please. They took their deal and their charges were dropped. The end of Jane. That's the name of my little section in the script. Roe v. Wade <laughs> fucking rules, and I don't want to pretend like it doesn't. Uh, the fact that it's under threat is fucking bad. You know, I hope that this doesn't sound like we're talking from distant utopian past when you all hear this episode come come out, because this episode will probably come out about a month after we record it. But it's it's not enough, and the, the women of Jane knew that, right? Because abortion was legalized, but it was also remedicalized. It went back in the hands of male doctors. It became in, it tied once again into an inaccessible medical system that treats women like bodies, like cars to be fixed. Jane actually continued for a few weeks after the ruling, but everyone was just so fucking exhausted and burned out and the fire was gone. And ironically, um, they were afraid that they might catch charges uh, for because the for-profit medical industry might lead the charge for on them for practicing medicine without a license. They, they threw a, a fuck it, we're done now party. And, and Jane was over after their fuck it, we're done now party, which is the way I'm phrasing it. <laughs> And I like that. People miss the intensity of it. Jane activist Ruth Sergal put it like this. For the people I know, it was the single most intense period of our life. And when it stopped, there was something missing. And you couldn't find anything to do that carried quite that energy for a long time. But you know what does carry energy is potatoes. And you should <laughs> eat food of some type, whatever type you like. But it is healthy and good and that's why we advertise it on this show, the concept of Are we talking sweet potatoes? Yeah, all potatoes. All potatoes are great. As well as whatever's being advertised. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. 
like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we are back. And so this this intensity weaving uh, is, is something that I think is familiar to a lot of people who are involved in activism, especially like more intense activism. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that anyone who was radicalized by the 2020 demonstrations has has felt this when you leave this moment of intensity. But people keep going, right? Uh, TRM Howard, the black civil rights leader, who is the first abortionist the network called, he kept providing abortions now legally, and his his private black-owned practice offered abortions for $50 less than what local hospitals charged. The defense committee with that sick name, the ATF, they switched to becoming a new group that also had a sick name, Health Evaluation and Referral Services, HERS. It's a shitty name, but it's a great acronym. <laughs> and uh, I feel like they really, I don't know, they they started off with not strong naming game, but I think that they, over the course of time, they figured it out. You're getting there. Yeah. So so hers and Heather Booth, Jane's founder, they went on to start the Chicago Abortion Fund in Chicago 1985, which is a nonprofit that is still around today and um, is a simple, clean, honest name that does what it says on the tin. And as the host of Cool People Did Cool Stuff, I appreciate a thing that just does what it says on the tin. So I want to talk about some of the other uh, direct action abortionists who have who've come since because this need continues, right? And there, there are millions of people who've done this kind of work, probably as long as there's been legal restrictions on abortion. There have been people fighting against it. You talked about some of them actually at the beginning of the show, and I'm hoping you chime in with more of them as I, as I go through some of these. Um, and I want to do more episodes about more of these people, or I think mm-hmm. people can listen to other podcasts that talk about it too. Um, yeah. So normally I stick with people in the past for this show, but this issue just feels too important to me right now to, to not include some of these. So there's Women on Waves which is a Dutch organization that was started by the physician Rebecca Gompertz in 1999. And she used to be the ship's doctor aboard a Greenpeace ship. And she was like, oh, boats are fucking cool, which is my paraphrasing, not a direct quote. So she got a boat and she headed out to various countries with restrictive abortion practices. She loads up patients on shore, heads 20 miles out to sea. And since it's a Dutch ship, Dutch law is in effect. Though even the Dutch are a little wary about the whole thing and the ship is only authorized to provide the abortion pill. Uh, non-surgical abortions to pregnancies up to nine weeks. And they don't just provide abortions, they provide education, contraception, and and education. And the first place they go is Ireland, because um, you don't have to go very far from the Netherlands to go to a country that had terrible abortion laws in 2001. Ironically, Ireland is liberalizing its abortion laws, just as the U.S. is regressing. And this this boat is super contentious. And also, it's contentious when you tell people who have ships that they're called boats because they don't like that. Um, they like to be like, this is a ship, not a boat. Uh, but I think it's funny because boat is a cuter name. So Portugal blocks women on waves from approaching with a fucking warship. And then in Guatemala, they make it less than a day before a warship comes and pushes them out to sea. And oh, and the, oh, you actually were talking about Poland earlier. Um, women on waves once flew a drone carrying abortion pills into Germany from Poland. In case anyone needs any ideas. Uh, Amazing. Um, and Rebecca Gompertz goes on in 2018 to form a nonprofit called Aid Access that focuses on helping pregnant people self-manage their own abortions with abortion pills, which are generally a combination of, I don't know how to pronounce these words. I'm terribly sorry. Maybe you do mifeprestone and misoprostol. These are the, the primary abortion pills that people are taking right now right. to end first trimester abortions and sending them through the mail in the U.S. and to other countries that are increasingly criminalizing abortion. 
And they fielded about 50,000 requests in the first year that they were operational. At least one organization is bulletproofing vans, getting ready to help people safely leave Texas to get to states where they can get the healthcare they need. They're like park, getting ready to park the vans right outside the border of Texas. And, and frankly, what isn't isn't legal doesn't dictate what is and isn't safe, right? During the 50 years we've had Roe v. Wade uh, in the US, abortion workers have regularly risked and sometimes lost their lives in order to help people terminate unwanted pregnancies. Receptionists, security guards, and clinic escorts have all been murdered, kidnapped, attacked, threatened, you name it. Um, And one of the reasons I bring that up, I hate ending on this kind of darker note, but one of the reasons I bring that up is because we we can have this concept that direct action abortion can only happen when it's illegal, and that's just not true. Um, Like, I don't know, in in one southern city I lived in, there were, for years, there were no clinic escorts because the people, um, and clinic escorts, for anyone who doesn't know, are the people who wait outside a clinic and shield patients from the abuse from anti-choice protesters. And there were no clinic escorts in this town because all the escorts had been followed home and had their windows shot out. And and my sister does uh, clinic escorting, and I just want to shout her out. She's a direct action hero from my point of view, even if what she's doing is is legal, you know? Still a risk. Yeah, totally. I only did it once. It was a long time ago in Louisville, Kentucky. And basically, as I understood it, I was told by the punks in town, they were like, the anti-choice protesters here are like really scary. So they want the scary punks to come be the uh, the <laughs> clinic escorts. Yeah. You know, because like normally if you don't have really bad protesters, you kind of don't want the scary people to come <laughs> to like help escort people in. But when people are right. really threatening, then you call the really threatening looking people, uh, which when I was 20, I was a very threatening looking person just by being a punk. Um, I love it. I love that that's the threat. It's like, I'm a punk. That's right. Come yeah, on. Yeah. 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 And, and we were all like <laughs> full of ourselves, like 20 year old anarchists who were like, we'll do As anything, you, you know, um, and the, the world needs lots of angry 20 year olds right. also. Um, right. Unfortunately, it also needs a lot of the angry 20 year olds to stop. It depends right. on what they're angry about, really. Right. I mean, just a reminder, I mean, I just want to put this also sad little fact in here. Even after Roe versus Wade uh, in the Supreme Court in 1977, we had the Hyde Amendment, which is still in place and has never gone away, um, which restricts funds uh, for healthcare and access, which means pretty much it's a very classist and racist amendment, Mm -hmm. making sure those who really probably are the ones that need it and need this help and need this choice are the ones that can't get access to safe uh, abortion and safe uh, reproductive care in general. Mm -hmm. And then that has always been in place and it has not been removed and it has not even come close to being removed and could have been and should have been by some administrations. (laughs) That will go unnamed. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But that's part of the problem is we have other things that, yeah, sure, now we are supposedly... Is that the word I want? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We supposedly have the right to do so, but we don't have access to do so. And that's a conversation we need to have in pretending like it's actually free and it's not, or not actually free, that it's actually accessible and yeah. it's not. And and who that truly affects and why it's such a bigger conversation, as well as the fact that the gag rule exists, mm-hmm. which uh, Title 10 came in trying to help out to get those funds. And then we have the gag rule saying like, well... No, I guess individuals can choose this. So it gets so convoluted and there's so many policies and amendments on top of each each other that it becomes almost impossible to know what is accessible and what is legal. Yeah. And yeah, just because it's not legal doesn't mean you can't get it. Yeah. Or you should be. But it's like that's 
this whole conversation in this bigger picture of like we're coming coming back to the basics, unfortunately. But we because we were never unable to unravel the yeah. minor details that really mm-hmm. uh, bind us for those who want to get that ability to just have a choice. And again, reproductive care is not just a abortion. Yeah, like we there's just a whole bigger conversation. Once again, the fact that the comorbidity for uh, black women is higher, like it's just, mm, it's like, mm. there's so many conversations in what these policies are and who they truly affect and why these policies are in place. It's white supremacy, patriarchy, the, yeah. those things. The reason we keep harping on these two words, these three words, and people get pissed off about it <laughs> is because it's true. Yeah. There's no other. Ex- I'm sorry. I'm sorry it bothers you and that you've been benefiting from that. Fuck you. It's still true. Yeah. No, I... I Rant finish. No, no, no. I, I, I'm incredibly... This is part of why I'm really excited that you're the guest <laughs> for this. Um, I is, is the Hyde Amendment, is that the thing where, like, I know that, like, at least for a while, there was, like, only one abortion clinic in Kentucky, and it was because you weren't allowed to have... An abortion clinic's hallways must be exactly, and I'm making this number up, 31 inches wide, whereas a normal clinic has to have 33 inch wide things. And so they would do this shit where you like cannot have any a clinic that is anything other than an abortion clinic, which means that is entirely financially unstable it and strips, impossible. Yeah. yeah, it starts stripping things. Essentially, the Hyde Amendment really took away the uh, funding. Hmm. So any public funding could not go into it. So if you uh, okay. had accessibility to so if you say yes we offer uh abortion mm-hmm. care then you're automatically stripped of it uh you cannot get government funds okay period so any kind of like services that would take medicaid and medicare you couldn't go to there uh and get abortion because that was restricted for government funds so like it, yep. it uh-huh. absolutely was a classist law yeah which just continues the previous status quo where the rich have right. access to reproductive health. And then, and it's so yeah. sneaky. It's so sneaky because people don't know about it much. Like They, they really think they have access because it's a right. liberal state. But Hyde Amendment. Er. Yeah. Reproductive care is so much more than, as you said, reproductive care is so much more right. than abortion. And like a lot right. of it is also about like the ability to choose to have children, right? Right. People who have children... This is a high risk thing for m- many, many people, and they need that care. Yeah. Um, and there's a reason why people died in childbirth. And it shouldn't have to be because there are uh, advancements that can prevent that. But people can't afford that. Like that, that in itself is that conversation. Like we don't actually care about uh, those who are giving birth yeah. like to make sure they're healthy. That's not pro-life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. The the hypocrisy of all that stuff can like keep me up at night sometimes because I try to have empathy with people I disagree with and it it short circuits my empathy because I I can't understand it because it makes no fucking sense that you're like claiming right. to be you know this one thing and then you just don't give a shit about people when they actually have children and like I love that that's why you quoted that doctor uh from what was it Kentucky uh Pennsylvania Oh, yeah, that's the same. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, Pennsylvania, <laughs> because it, just seeing their perspective, that that is the true point of it. And this yeah. conversation of uh, late term abortions, a majority of the people who are having late term abortions are not by choice. Yeah. Uh, typically, they have been preparing for their child. Um, and I know many people who were 
anti-choice for the longest time when they had to be put in that situation and understanding, oh, this is still technically an abortion. They may have different terms for it. Mm-hmm. Um, realizing that, oh, and then costing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, uh, putting their lives at risk, coming back to being pro-choice, realizing what this conversation and what these types of laws really hurt and who they really hurt and how damaging it is um, because there's this mystic uh, religious moral background that in order to demoralize and demonize those who even talk about it as an option. Yeah. The moral crusaders are just being used as useful idiots by people who want to do this other shit. And they like get people riled up into being like, this is what is moral. And they're like, okay. And you run off and go do the thing. And like, that's not what the the people controlling those people don't give a shit about any of that stuff. This is not about that. Yeah. And they're just, you're being used. If you made it this far and you're, um, you're a a moral anti, yeah. Um, you're just you being warned them in the used. first episode. Yeah, we're totally. going a bit. We're on this length, yeah. so you know they know. Y'all yeah. know, y'all know, right? <laughs> um, but yes, thank you so much for bringing this because I love yeah. talking about this history. I definitely learned more because I was like, "What? What is that?" Things I didn't want to know, and things I do want to mm-hmm. know. So thank you for giving me that blend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I yeah, I I was realizing I was like, this is a thing that some people know a lot about and some people don't know about at all, and like I'm really excited that more and more information is coming forward and people yes. are becoming more and more aware about. Jane Collective and all of the people who've done this kind of work because like, well, because we fucking need it. And, right. and we've, we've already said that a bunch of times on the show, but it just, it, it feels worth repeating is that like, we need to know that we can like be brave and do the right thing, right. you know? And we need to know that the means by which to do it, uh, do the right thing. We can have those means. We can figure that out. Um, right. You know, so yeah. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, being a guest. Thank you for me. I have a new best friend. Yeah. Well, you have so many new best friends also because all the listeners. But I want to yeah. be more of the best friend than them. <laughs> um, any any plugs at the end here? Uh, like I said on the last episode, which I hope you listened to and you stayed around for the second part, I'm on Stuff Mom Never Told You, a podcast with iHeartRadio. Uh, you can get it wherever you listen to your podcast. We are on Instagram and on uh, Twitter. We don't type. We don't type. Is that it? This is how old I am. We don't post a lot. I don't type things on there a lot, but we're there and we love getting messages. Um, I am also on the social medias, obviously not very good at it, on Instagram with uh, McVeigh Sam and Twitter, uh, Sam McVeigh, because that's how creative I am. (laughs) And you can see pictures of her dog. Yeah. Yes. That's pretty much all it is, is pictures of my dog. So if you like that, come on. Check it out. And then we'll be back next week. On Monday and Wednesday. Right, Margaret? Yay. Forever. (laughs) Talk to you all soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, listeners. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. You know that feeling when you walk into your home? 
take a deep breath and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.